We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to episode 340 of the Barcelona Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Eugene Hilton, and it's been a while, but it's time for the return of another friendly face. Coming all the way from Club Borgana de Montreal, it's Mike Miller. How you doing, Mike? I'm doing fine, Dan. How are you? Well, you're kind of lying to me a little bit, saying that you're doing <laughs> just fine, because instead of wearing a Barca jersey or a Barca kit of any kind, you're decked out in your O Canada jersey there because Canada is moving on to the World Cup. What is it? Their second in the history. So as much as the international break is something that, I mean, I think it's usually a foregone conclusion that Barca players, countries, many of them at least, make the World Cup, right? Spain, I mean, Italy's a little bit of a shock. Barcelona and Italians right now. But, you know, Germany and Spain in particular and, and Netherlands, you know, they're usually there, usually there. So there's a lot less drama. But for Canada, you know, it, it was actually no drama in qualification. You just took care of business and got there. Look, uh, March 27 should be a national holiday. I'll say that. I'll tell you that much. It's uh, It's been a long time coming. Even though I was alive in 1986, I was barely two years old. So in my lifetime, it's going to be the first time ever that I'll get to enjoy my own country participating to, to, to a FIFA World Cup. And we won't have to wait till 2026 when Canada is going to be qualified as uh, co-organizers of the of the tournament. We get to, to, to make it uh, through the big door. And uh, by by being on top of the of the region, nonetheless, by beating all the top teams in the region as well. So I'm very excited, very proud, and I can't wait for November to see what Canada has to offer. And uh, you're going to see a very talented, very young, very refreshing, and very organized side. And uh, hopefully, the fairy tale will continue beyond uh, beyond the the, the 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 FIFA qualifiers. And Canada doing so much of it without Alfonso Davies, who I think there was even a belief three, four years ago that Canada, it was all about those young up and coming players. And there have obviously so many of them up and coming, but now they've been there for a little bit of time. And it's not just it's not just Davies, it's Jonathan David, a player that I've mentioned for Lille that Barca should maybe be looking at. That kind of player might be a good rotation piece. And again, Davies, I don't think he'll ever be at Barcelona. Bayern Munich would never let him go from less than 200 million euros, but created things that happened. But speaking of transfers and free agents and all that stuff, the headline for today's show, even though it's a day or two old, it's not a day or two old because it's a player that wouldn't be arriving till the summer. 
most of what we're talking about today is Rafinha of Leeds United because this one seems to have really caught, not even steam, but it, it seems to be almost a done deal, as in a done deal with the player and not yet with the club. We'll get in all of that. But first, we do have to put this in the lens of the fact that Rafinha would be replacing Dembele. So Rafinha will not be arriving at Barcelona, you'd have to assume, because he's going to cost something. I don't know what that is, but it'll cost something. So he won't be arriving to Barcelona if Dembele renews. Now, that's very, very unlikely because even this week, Diarro Oss reported that Dembele is heading to PSG. And now, as far as how trustworthy Oss is, I'm not sure about that. Uh, as far as this Dembele to PSG story, though, makes a lot of sense. PSG knows Mbappe is leaving, so they're using some of those wages on Dembele with the certainty that Neymar isn't getting a raise. And like I said last week, every even though the project for Dembele at Barca is better for the player, there's a good chance that he's honestly, personally, overliving amongst the fans of Catalonia, and he wants to be out of that situation, even if, even though he's got a bombing gang, even though the vibes under Xavi are good. I think just his day-to-day living in the region is just, he's, he's kind of over it. And for his agent, he has a number, and PSG was always going to be closer to that number than Barcelona. So you take the money, and the negotiation is over. And I know it feels like he should be more likely to renew, but I still think it's very, very unlikely. The last reports are that the agent has said, hey, if Barca wants to come back to the table to us, we're open to it, but they have to bring the offer. Uh, and Barca has obviously said, hey, they can accept our offer or he's gone. And it sounds like a stalemate to me. Oh, you got that right. But, you know, the one thing that can help Dembele's case in Barcelona, if there is still a glimpse of a chance, is the fact that Chelsea is off the table for the time being. Mm-hmm. And Chelsea was that club with a reportedly a tangible offer on the table back in January. Now that Chelsea is out of the race, as you said, it's it's either PSG or nobody else. I cannot imagine anyone being interested in acquiring the services of Dembele at that at that salary even even if he would come on a tre- uh, on a free transfer. Basically, if PSG decide that they're not interested in Dembélé, then it puts him in a very awkward situation and he's going to have to to rethink his ambitions in terms of, uh, I mean, salary-wise. And then it would put him in a situation where he would have to basically beg Barca to to, to put an offer on the table. And I think that this scenario is likelier than we think. Right, and I think you're right, going through the logical progressions of how that's going to go down. And that's why I I say that you're correct. It might, it seems like it's PSG or bust at this point because, yeah, Barca's still going to have one of the better offers that could be presented to him on the table. I mean, we always show the names Liverpool, and yeah, if, if Mohamed Salah is gone, then yeah, of course, Liverpool would be certainly in play looking for a right winger. And the other big question becomes with these free agents that Barca is, they are collecting like infinity gauntlet of, of free agents, right? With Kessie and Christensen. And we're going to, again, Rafinha is not a free agent, so that doesn't count. But uh, just collecting from Aubameyang and again, Adamatero was on loan, but you get the point. A lot of free agents and Azlaqueta also being rumored. And if Madrid on the other side were to sign, I mean, do an act of God, Holland and Mbappe and Chuamani, who only Mbappe is the free agent. There really aren't that many quote-unquote big fish left swimming around though in the in the summertime. I mean, Chuameni is that very coveted midfielder at the moment and Barcelona getting Kessie means that they're obviously out of the race for that, unfortunately. And then there's Holland and Mbappe. And then after them, it's a lot of different players trying to maybe restructure deals with their teams or yeah, we heard of Salah, we've heard of Lewandowski, but 
I mean, you have to believe that they're probably going to be kept at the club that they're at. They're going to renew on smaller numbers because it makes more sense to me for players of that age and that ilk. They're going to sign four-year deals, and it's going to be a lot cheaper for their clubs and a lot easier for them to stay there, especially Lewandowski's in his late 30s. I think he has young kids. It's just one of those questions where I think that's unlikely. I think both those guys are going to stay put. And now all of a sudden, is Dembele the most coveted player on the market, right? And is um, is PSG backed into a corner where they need to get something? They have to bring somebody in after losing Mbappe. What's the other options? I mean, you know, you got that right. There's not going to be there's not going to be an infinite supply of uh, talented winners uh, on the market. That being said, I think that speaking of our own club, right? Speaking of Barca, we have enough talent in house to afford losing a player like Dembélé. Considering that Ansu Fati will have to come back from injury at some point, considering that we now can count on Ferran Torres, who's doing much better than he's getting credit for, and you know, if you if you look back in the last five years in Barcelona, even though Usman Dembele has been part of our roster, how much have we been able to rely on him anyway? How many matches how has he been has he been able to play for us anyway? So it's like even if we sign Usman Dembele this summer, it would be like acquiring the services of a brand new player. Well, yeah, because he's really only been there for six months now, where you've really seen the best of Dembele or the player that Barca had originally signed. And mm-hmm. so if Barca already obviously dipping their toes into replacing him. It seems like the, and you said, how many wingers are there out there? And Dembele is a special player. I mean, I think he's, when you're talking about right wingers, he's top 10, top 15. I mean, that's how influential he can be when healthy. And even for what he's provided this season, shows you that in 12 matches, he already has nine assists. And all the other top 10 the league assist leaders, he's second in that table. And all the other top 10 have played more than 20 matches this season. So, I mean, imagine if you doubled the 12 or make it to 21 or 22 that the others are at and he would have, I mean, yeah, he would easily have almost 20 assists. I mean, it's it's incredible what he's been doing in the last four or five months or even the last two months since Barcelona really uh, hit their stride. So pivoting to Rafinha now, because that seems to be the name. And this is not a free agent transfer. And it tells you how limited that free agent market on the wing can be and what that drop-off can immediately look like. And I think where we start with, I think we start with the cold hard facts and and what we've heard is that Barca have agreed personal terms with Rafinha of Leeds United, still need to agree the deal with Leeds, and it depends or not whether or not they get relegated, what that number is going to be, and that's the important number there. Barca have reportedly had an initial offer of $35 for the Brazilian rejected by Leeds, and that update coming from Sport, who have said that the EPL club have told Barca that they have to pay the 75 million euro release clause if they want Rafinha, who is currently valued. It's funny that Barca provided 35 million because he's valued by transfer market at 35 or 36 million pounds, which is a bit more than 35 million euros. But you see, that's the initial offer. The agent of Rafinha happens to be Deco, former Barcelona midfielder Deco. So there is a relationship between Laporta and Deco. And Barcelona should absolutely, in my opinion, move on if Leeds is continuing to ask 75 million if they're going to be relegated, which let me answer that one real quick. Leeds is currently in 16th place of 20, on 29 points, seven points clear of Watford in 18th. Everton on 25 points is in between the two, that being the relegation zone and Leeds United. And Newcastle is 31 points, Brentford on 30. So those two could also be dragged down into that relegation fight. It's a 25 million euro release clause for Rafinha 
if Leeds is to get relegated. So the first question before anything else, Mike, is do you think Leeds United, from what you've seen, the limited bit you've seen of Leeds United this year, could potentially be relegated? I think they're going down. Really? I, I really do think they're going down. Yeah, yeah, because, I mean, I haven't seen much of Jesse March's Leeds, but I have seen... But it's only one match, so... <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But I haven't seen, I haven't, I mean, I have seen some of their matches when Bielsa was still around. And my feeling about this club altogether is that Bielsa was getting the best out of these players. Uh, and now that he's gone, they're going to have to get prepared for an entire season in the championship trying to make it back to the Premier League. Now, time will tell. There, there's uh, there's about 10 matches left to the Premier League, so anything is still possible. But my feeling is that there's a strong chance that they might that they might be going down. I think that these players were really buying Bielsa's project and unfortunately it didn't work out the way that it has that it has worked out in the past few years. And Rafinha is basically one of very few diamonds in that squad the rest of that squad is made up of championship players they it, uh, that that squad hasn't really been re renewed all that much since getting promoted to the premier league we already knew that rafinha had to move on at some point now i think that if i'm in the shoes of leeds united right now I wouldn't I wouldn't gamble I wouldn't gamble too much. I would take the 36 or 35 million right now rather than being forced to potentially take the 25 million uh 10 matches from now. Hmm. But then again, I'm not in their brains. I don't know how they how they want to manage this. I don't know how they want to go about this. One thing that we know for sure, one thing that we've read a lot about in the past few days is that Rafinha is not talking to any other club. He's concentrating on Barcelona's offer. And he's basically he's basically agreed to to terms with with Barcelona right now. So all uh, everything that the club has to do right now is either reject or accept that offer. And if they're waiting, the choice will be made for them. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's Piquet and Puyol or Piquet and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine 
perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. Well, I think this is just my American bias showing, but I have a little more faith in Jesse Marsh. I think he's a good enough manager to keep this talented. Oh, I'm from Montreal, Dan. You know how much I love Jesse Marsh, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so anyway, I think that he's a good enough manager to keep them from the drop. You know, I'm not saying they're going to be in the Europa League next year. I'm not saying anything. I'm saying that I think he can save them because, again, they're seven points clear right now of the relegation zone. And I think them not getting relegated, to me, says more about Watford, Burnley, and, and North City than it does actually about about Leeds, and that might be the only thing also saving Everton <laughs> this season as well with Frank Lampard. Um, and the only way it does go wrong, I think at this point, is if Marsh does a Bob Bradley at Swansea City and ruins the name of American managers in the EPL for another few years. And, you know, he didn't start the first game, that being Rafinha, under new manager Jesse March, if you look that up, because he was out with COVID protocol. So that's why you're not seeing him. It's not because the club has chosen to drop him because of some kind of behavior or nonsense, anything like that. Under no circumstances will Jesse March drop his leading goal scorer, the one guy who's been the guy for Leeds this year. And now with that, I want to transition to speaking about the kind of player he is, because it is a bit puzzling. He's a guy that's been on my radar for a number of years now. He's 25, so obviously I've heard him. I've seen him play before, but it did take him some time to find his feet and learn how to make an impact. And to that point, I, I would consider him a, a late bloomer. And not I'm not going to compare him to Kevin De Bruyne or Mohamed Salah, but that's what we're talking about. That's the actual like timeline of vaulting up to, not to say he's a superstar in the game yet, but from just a player that, where are they going to fit? Where are they going to have their final stop where they become the thing that they could be? And it took, obviously, Salah and De Bruyne, they were both in Chelsea shirts, you could find them. And then it took them to changing their club and getting another opportunity and getting their biggest, uh, being given a bigger role. And for Rafinha, it really did take until Leeds, where he has nine goals, three assists to lead the team. And 
he so his story he moves from his boyhood brazilian club avaya the youth academy i'm probably saying that wrong they're not very well known to vitoria in portugal in 2016 age 19 two years later he moves to sporting cp and the next september moves to to ren in france and france then in October of 2020, so 13 months later, he moves to Leeds. So that's a lot of hops, a lot of jumps from the age of 19 to to 23. He just hop, 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 uh, and and got to the place he is now with Leeds. Uh, do you want to? I, I guess I want to talk about what he is. Or first, I want to ask your impressions of his and Mike before I I go off on the 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 metrics and all the blah 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 boring stuff. Of course, he's a skillful player. You could tell that he's got. He's got the natural talent. He's got uh, he's he's even got some of the some of the flashes that we have seen before from talented Brazilian wingers. The only the only thing that would be missing for me is seeing him in a context where he could flourish, where he could show what he's what he's capable of, and that hasn't really been the case uh, at Leeds. Obviously, how would he fit in a system where he's surrounded with superstars? like in Barcelona. Yeah. How would he fit in a system where he doesn't always have the ball, where he, where, where, where he is not basically where um, the system is not built around him. And most importantly, and that's the one thing that, that worries me a little bit based on our history, right? How would he fit outside of the field in Barcelona? Would he be tempted by the nightlife and uh, and everything that the city of Barcelona has to offer, and not to not to generalize, but Brazilian players are known to like the finer things that the city of Barcelona has to offer. And you know, I can I can name a few like Neymar, like Ronaldinho, uh, only to name those. Is he is he going to be distracted with uh, with these sorts of off-field activities or is he going to be a consummate professional like Rivaldo was for example for for example and that's that's the that's the one thing that worries me because we don't know we don't know much about him personally we know what he's capable of on the field to a certain extent but I don't know like I'll, I'll give you an example and I'm not talking about a player who stayed in Barcelona for very long I'm not talking about someone who plays the same position but still when Arthur came over we had heard a lot of good things about him. He was obviously very talented. And then when he came over to Barcelona, then we started learning things about him personally. And, you know, it's definitely something that, that worries me a little bit. But as far as pure talent, he would, he would be a good signing, no question about it, especially, especially at, uh, at a price of uh, 25 to 35 uh, million euros. Well, you didn't mention the OG Romario, the guy who set the, the gold standard of, uh, <laughs> of, course. of, of Brazilian extracurricular activity at, uh, in the city of Barcelona. So as a player, yeah, I don't have a lot of uh, insane concerns because of where I think he would fit on a potential depth chart. So he does rely heavily on his right foot on that right wing, but his left foot isn't a complete zero either. He can shoot with his left and he can switch the play with his left, but the accuracy does go down a bit. And I think the other thing that Xavi would kind of be frustrated with him I think I think Barca fans in general would be frustrated with him is that he picks his head up rather late he does shoot first pass second starting but he does start his position out wide which makes a lot of sense in Xavi's system his positional defending is fine to better than fine uh, and I'd say better than Dembele's and 
his square balls also leave something to be desired, but so do Adama Traore. So you're really asking those questions of how does he compare to what Barca is currently seeing now? And the players that he has similar, of the, you know, talking about boring advanced metrics here, the non-penalty XG, shot-creating actions, dribbles completed, and all that. The player Here's some players he compares to. Hakeem Ziyech of Chelsea, Domenico Barardi of Sassuolo, Bruno Fernandes of Man United, Christian Teo of Real Betis, and Zanjai of Real Sociedad. Those are the players that he actually profiles the most to, which is really interesting because of especially Bruno Fernandes, who is just an attacking midfielder. But it's all guys, with I think the exception of Teo, who really let the cut in and can be dangerous once they're in field. And not that Dembele isn't, but Dembele is strictly kind of a winger. That's where he's going to have his best work. That's where he's going to draw two men. And before... The before it is that Rafinha brings that second guy in the Premier League, he's often trying to cut in before that second that second guy comes for the double. And if he does get the double, he tends to try to split them, which you know is is, is a choice. <laughs> it's a choice. I don't know how well Xavi's going to be cool with all those things. And going back to the point of Dembélé and comparing him like for like to his mind Dembélé, you know I had trouble looking at their metrics because these are two different teams, as you said. Rafinha is the guy for Leeds, who are not a very good squad in the EPL. While Dembele is has a particular role, he has to do his job for Xavi's Barcelona, who are flying high at the moment where all those metrics are, are being seen. So here's the thing. Dembele is insane, number-wise, at expected assists, shot-creating actions, progressive carries, dribbles completed, total shots, and touches. He's in the 95th percentile or higher in all of those categories. And Dembele receives the ball in really dangerous areas. And his passing completion of 76%, which puts him in just the 49th percentile of wingers, is leagues better than Rafinha's 64th. Or 64%, rather. Which puts him in just the 4th percentile of, of passing completed. So that's something that, right, the Xavi's immediately going to circle. But it's also, what is his usage? What is his role at Leeds? His, his role at Leeds is to make things happen. Is, and so he's not going to release the ball until... He's gotten as far to goal as possible, and he's probably put his a teammate behind the ball because he's so far in front of it. So th- this is where I'm not sure I can judge Rafinha fairly because he doesn't receive the ball in dangerous areas. He touches it just 4.53 times per 90 in the opponent's box, while Dembélé does that 7.13 times. And as I said, Rafinha is way better than Dembélé at defending. He's beat Dembélé in all defensive metrics by a sizable mark, pressures, tackles, interceptions, blocks, and clearances. But to immediately say that doesn't matter, Leeds also doesn't have the ball, and Barca usually does. So those numbers are a lot lower for almost all Barca players at the respective positions. There's that, and there's also the fact that he played for uh, for Bielsa for a couple of years. And right. that'll, that'll <laughs> drastically improve one's defensive statistics. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, I would be curious to know how much input Xavi will have in those decisions because all signs points towards all signs point towards Xavi wanting to do the impossible to keep Dembélé. Now, is the front office going to listen to him? Are they going to really make that effort to try to keep Dembélé in town? Because between Dembélé and Rafinha, I'm I'm convinced that Xavi would prefer to keep Dembélé. He's already part of the system. He's already uh, well liked by his uh, by his teammates, uh, despite what people may think, and so far, whenever he was called, uh, whenever he was called upon, whenever he was relied upon, he delivered. 
That being said, if Xavi is put in a situation where he has no choice but to but to say the goodbye to them to Dembele, how happy will he be with Rafinha? Will Rafinha fit in in Xavi's plan? And how much input did Xavi have in the decision to make an offer to Rafinha? And those are questions that can only be answered behind closed doors, obviously. But I I would be very curious to know how much uh, how important Rafinha would be for Xavi. Well, I my question for Rafinha and what he's worth, and I think the hardest part is the no, the final number that is agreed with Leeds because he's on a free agent is dictates I think what his role, not even what his role is, but what is the expectations for his role mm-hmm. are. Because right now he has been the star guy for Leeds. And I have to ask what that price is going to be. Because just like Kessie and Christensen, though those two are free, with the current form of the team, Christensen would need to impress to take out PK and Eric Garcia. Uh, and I'm plugging Araujo in as, as the everyday starter. And then Kessie probably isn't starting over Pedri or De Jong, and maybe not even Gabi. And if, and a big if, Ansu Fati does return in April and puts all of the injuries behind him, even without Dembele, that front line is probably Aubameyang, Ferran Torres, Ansu Memphis, and then potentially Rafinha, depending on how quick he assimilates. So you are looking at, and Memphis might be gone in the summer based on his role, but if he's not, you're looking at a really deep line. And if Rafinha comes on 25 million euros and is one of six players or rather five players in a really dangerous three-man attack with again Aubameyang, Torres, Ansu, Memphis, and then Rafinha that is totally fine and I can tell you that he the player he is at Leeds won't underwhelm there you're not going to be the number one guy at a club like Leeds and then fit so well right because I think the other argument for Rafinha is as I said he doesn't perfectly fit but this is not Coutinho this is not this is not Griezmann this is not a player where I'm worried is this going to make sense? I mean, even Arturo Vidal made a ton of sense coming for Valverde, but then the second there was a change in manager, you went, well, Arturo Vidal doesn't make sense anymore if you're going to play even a little bit different than what you did prior. And so I think Rafinha makes enough sense for 25 to 35 million to be good enough, to be the guy. And then he also winds up at 25 is an insurance policy for Ansu's injury, for Obama Yang being 32, and for Memphis potentially leaving even in January or, or wanting out for some reason because he's not getting the starts of the minutes he would want. So to, to, to me, again, the $35 million is about fair in this market for just how good he's been at Leeds United. I think he's earned that. Now, the next question is kind of circling back, Mike, to what you're already saying about these Brazilians. I'm wondering, looking at this story from Santos from a few weeks ago, the two teenagers, Angelo and I'm going to butcher his name. It's K-I- it's K-A-I-K-Y. It's Kaiki. I'm not sure what it is. But anyway, the two youngsters, it's a center back, an 18-year-old and a 16-year-old winger. Angelo from Santos, they have the first option on them after a gobby goal thing went wrong. Santos, his president, kind of admitted to that. And looking at Rafinha now, I, I wonder if they're looking for the next great Brazilian, but then I immediately kind of walk it back because... I don't think he's the one, right? He's got three goals and seven appearances for Brazil. As far as the marketing options, he seems to me to be less marketable than Neymar, Vinny Jr., Anthony from Ajax, Rodrigo, Gabriel Martinelli, Gabriel Jesus, Coutinho, and even Richarlison. And then I put him on the level of Mateus Cunha, Atletico Madrid, Lucas Moura, and ahead of, of Davineres. Is that about right? That that he's, I mean, I don't think he's like, right? He's, I don't think he's the next Brazilian star that Barcelona will be trying to market. I think he happens to be Brazilian, very much like maybe Malcolm, but Malcolm just seems like 
<laughs> that one just sounded like yeah, the Bartomeu looking for the next Brazilian star and not looking that hard and just finding the first young Brazilian winger he could find. But this doesn't seem like that at all. Oh, you're 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 absolutely right. I'm I'm glad you mentioned Anthony because Anthony to me uh, is worth uh, is worth a shot. Obviously, he's going to be pretty expensive because everybody's looking at him. Even Dani Alves has gone to 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 Laporta begging him to sign Anthony mm -hmm. but no I, I don't think that I don't think that Anthony would be within our reach when it comes to when it comes to how much we can spend on a transfer uh, even considering Spotify money I don't think that uh, I, I think that there's going to be a bidding war on Anthony he's that good oh yeah I think 65 75 is probably the number exactly exactly uh, but you're absolutely right in your in your Brazilian superstar pecking order, if I can call it that. <laughs> Rafinha is right in the middle. Uh, he doesn't have stellar stats, but he's uh, he hasn't been around for forever at the level that he's at right now, uh, which means that there could be an upside. Or, worst case scenario, what you see is what you get, and that's what you can accept. Well, expect I, I think out him of signing him. with Barca in the summertime means he's going to the World Cup. I think I think that is yeah. that kind of move for him. I, I mean, Arthur at Gremio was not getting a look for the Brazilian national team. As all of a sudden, he's playing for the Brazilian national team the minute mm -hmm. he moves to Barcelona and or a few months after, right? And and I think yeah, he has to. I mentioned all the wingers that Rafinha has to compete with, but again, yeah. he's already been on the peripheral, on the bubble. But getting that move to Barca says, okay, yeah, this guy's going to handle it. This guy's going to be fine at the World Cup squad. But the only reason I asked that too is since Barcelona did sign Neymar. And I'm kind of, not to say that, that, that Malcolm doesn't count in this, but since they did grab Neymar, Real Madrid have signed Vinny Jr., Rodrigo, Renier, who is disappointed on loan at Dortmund. It's been Madrid who have myopically wanted to get that next great Brazilian star. Yeah. Yeah, but just because they've, they, they've been able to get them, it doesn't mean that Barcelona was not in the race. It only means that we right. got outbid by Real Madrid. Every, every single player you mentioned... Barcelona was also in the race, just like Real Madrid was in the race for Neymar, and we ended up getting him. It's all—it's always a handful of clubs, and it's usually the same clubs who try to go after these Brazilian superstars. And contrary to what we think, there aren't that many. Uh, when you take a look at Brazilian soccer, when you when you take a look at first of all, when you take a look at their league, it's only a handful of clubs uh, supplying these these top shelf superstars. So at the end of the day, it's become increasingly difficult to find those hidden gems. Once one club knows about a gem, everybody knows about the same uh, about the same player, and then it's a question of who's going to offer this, the the best possible situation for that player to come over to Europe. Yeah, actually, interesting that Danny Alves coming from Biat was one of those players that just was not not say not on a radar, but he kind of had to make his own way. In, yeah. in in Spain because he wasn't seen as some top, top, top talent. And then again, for Rafinha, moving at 19 from, again, a small club that doesn't, I believe they don't, yeah, they don't have a club in the in the first division of Brazil. And I'm not sure where they're, what, what uh, league that the, his first team yeah. would have been in even. Again, this is 18, 19 years old, but. Um, he essentially, he essentially came of age at uh, Victoria de Guimarães. Right. Vitoria de Guimarães. I'm going to, I'm going to say yep. it right. Vitoria de Guimarães. That's, that's essentially where he came of age. And that's the thing. These smaller Portuguese, Dutch, French clubs are, better than top elite European clubs at finding these hidden gems in, in South America. 
mainly because they cannot afford those huge superstars anyway, right? And that's why when you see like a virtually unknown up-and-coming Brazilian superstar coming from coming from Portugal or the Netherlands, then you're like, okay, well, he went there to complete his development and then turn into the player that he is today. Mm-hmm. But it's extremely rare that you're going to be able to, to catch those players in South America and then they come over and they're already game time ready to be undisputed starters for big clubs in, 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 big, leagues, in big leagues such as La Liga and the Premier League. Yeah, so I've heard the number for those two Santos teenagers was $35 million each, which is, again, a wow. hefty mark for teenagers. But, okay, anyway, let's. Uh, I, I know you're still riding the Canada high, but we're going to pivot to some of the other uh, games over the international break here. I guess starting with and almost ending with the Spain versus Albania friendly because there were so many Barca players playing in that, obviously. Ferran Torres was a winger on the right, scored a goal. It was fun to watch Gabi, I thought, in a friendly. He didn't seem to have the same crazy killer intensity he had, which is nice. It actually seemed like he was calm and collected for most of it. And then Eric Garcia doing the same thing he does for Barcelona, taking the space, a lot more dribbling into the space, and his long passing was actually a bit lacking, which was odd to see from Eric Garcia, but his defending was fine and getting forward, as I said, in that dribbling into space as well. And then Pedri was Pedri, though he did play a bit deeper at times for Spain than he does for Brazil. I mean, uh, for Barcelona, because Busquets was nowhere to be found and it was Rodri. So Rodri does get forward a little bit more than Busquets, so he's a little bit more mobile. But again, when I say little bit, I mean little bit because he's, what, six six years younger, seven years younger. So it's just the ability to have six or seven years more. But when he gets to be 33, Rodri's going to you know, go at molasses pace just like Busquets does. And then in the other one, the Netherlands, Memphis scored a PK against Denmark in a win, felt like a friendly of what I saw of that one. And then Frankie de Young went through the motions, I think, a bit in a 4-2 win, which I think the goal, uh, the goal number sounds more exciting than I felt like the game was between Netherlands and Denmark, which is generally kind of a rivalry game. But again, it didn't really have being an international friendly the same bite that you'd expect. Like if those two were to meet in the World Cup, you're going to get, there's going to be a lot more fireworks for that one. Anything stand out for you for the international break? Or, I mean, anything from these two games in particular? Yeah, well, Frankie de Jong doing really good at the central defensive midfielder position stood out for me. Hmm. And, you know, you were mentioning Frank Kessie earlier, and I. some people say that Frank Kessie is a central defensive midfielder. Other people will say that he's good in a double pivot. When I see Frankie de Jong as a number six, and think about Nico who's actually proven that he's that he could be reliable at that position then it leads me to believe that Frank Essie is not coming over to play that position he's coming over to, to either be on a double pivot or uh, as a as a box-to-box midfielder and and that's the thing what you're gonna get out of Frank Essie depends on what you're already existing already existing pieces can offer you. And that's what that game meant for me. Frankie de Jong as a number six, managing the game and looking as good as he did, tells me that we have enough depth at that position not to need any any help whatsoever. And speaking about Nico, actually, I was, I was very surprised to see that Nico wasn't called up by Spain. And I know that there was an explanation to that. Luis Enrique wants to see Nico continue playing for the U21s, which is okay. And uh, the U21s are actually in a process of their own, and he's an important player uh, in that program. But I would have really wanted to see Nico being being called up for the first time by La Roja. I think that these uh, 
these friendly matches are, are perfect opportunities for for up and coming stars like Nico to get to, to, to get some playing time. And I can refer back to Gavi being 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 capped and then Sufati being capped. And I thought that Nico would follow that tradition of extremely young uh, La Masia graduate being called up by by the senior squad. And just the same as Busquets getting a break, I wouldn't have been surprised if either Koke or Rodri would have gotten a break in order for Nico to, 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 to get some minutes, even if it's a handful of minutes with, with, the, with the senior squad. And finally, Ferran just, be, Ferran just being Ferran, creating more chances. I, I mean, you know, uh, he, gets a lot of, uh, he gets a lot of heat for not being as opportunistic as we, want, as we would want him to be. But he's definitely a dangerous player who creates multiple chances every single match. And he scores way more often than people getting uh, credit for. People don't seem to remember how often he's involved in the scoreboard, either either scoring goals or uh, or making key passes. So I was very happy to see him score that beautiful goal. Well, yeah, I think not to say that uh, I mean, I really uh, Danny Carverhouse had a really tough eight days. So I want to be nice to him, kind to him. But I thought he and Carverhouse did not really work well together. Carverhouse would just cut in when Torres was about to cut in or there wasn't too much overlapping between the two. So I don't think that partnership worked. But once Jordi Alba came, even though Torres was staying on the right, he flipped over to the left a bit when Alba came on. And then those two using the partnership and the understanding they have. And then Danny Almo and his versatility and movement was also huge for getting the most out of Ferran Torres. Another reminder that if you have other players on that front line who move well and understand space. uh, And again, it's no secret that going back to the expected players or expected forwards for next year, Aubameyang, Ferran Torres, Ansu, Memphis. Those are all guys that move really, really well and really, really fluid. With the exception would be of Rafinha, who does stay on that touchline, receives the ball, likes to receive the ball at feet and push forward. So you're talking about your left winger and your center forward shifting and working around as they do. And Dembele, his ability to play on the left and the right, he does generally stay on the right, but he does cut in as Rafinha would, and you'd expect that you'd see uh, something there. And it's funny, yeah, about you mentioned Nico. I don't want to push back too much about the Nico. I mean, I get that, but I also think that seeing the way that Nico's coming off the bench and the way and the similarities that Luis Enrique and Xavi's teams have, whatever it is that Xavi wants Nico to work on and improve to push Gabi. Not, I don't think he's going to push Pedri much, but even to give De Young more rest and start Nico because he hasn't done st- much starting. If Nico is the push into a starting line, if there are things that Xavi wants him to work on, I think those are the same things that Luis Enrique wants him to work on. And the difference is that Nico's spot is his spot to earn and his minutes to earn. For Spain, there's only so many spots, there's only so many minutes. So Luis Enrique was saying, hey, I mean, you are getting time. It's just with the Spain U21s. And the last point on the international break, Arnaud Tanas also getting called up as a third goalkeeper for Spain. It doesn't really say much, but it is kind of confirmation bias for me that, yeah, that kid had his ups and downs with Barca B, but that's because Barca B have had some ups and downs. But he is a very special goalkeeper. So even though... Barca might be looking at other goalkeepers. You might hear some rumors or anything. And even Neto, who knows if they're going to get him off the books. I still put all the faith in Iñaki Pena coming back from Galatasaray. 
coupled with Arnaud Tanas being a year older, you absolutely don't need to go out and get a backup goalkeeper. Even if Inaki Pena has two poor, you know, spot starts for Ter Stegen, or I'm hoping he's able to push Ter Stegen, I think Arnaud Tanas also has the ability. You give that guy three matches in a row, even for the first team, and that's going to, it should make Ter Stegen uneasy enough to raise his own level. So I'm pretty optimistic about the backup goalkeeping situation there. So last thing here, Mike, the rest of the Liga slate, before I read you off the slate, what is your prediction? I don't have to give it because I host two shows a week, but what is your prediction? Where do you find Barca settling in at the end of this table, at the end of this Liga year? Well, uh, <laughs> there's a difference between what I want and what I think is going to happen, obviously. What I would like to happen is to see Barca win 100% of the remaining matches and Real Madrid losing three matches if that happens thanks to the head-to-head Barcelona would would finish the season champions of Spain however unfortunately I think that we're going to miss we're going to we're going to we're going to come up short because of points that we've unfortunately dropped throughout the season I think that Barca is going to finish second in the table however I believe that we'll win the Europa League which means that we'll be top seeded in the Champions League next year that being said I I, I think that it's possible to win 100% of our remaining matches. Looking at the table, uh, I mean, looking at the remaining matches that we'll have to play, there's no Atletico Madrid, there's no Real Madrid anymore. I think our toughest uh, our toughest opponent is Sevilla, and that's our next match uh, this Sunday. When you look at every other opponent that we have left to, that we have left to face, I think that they're well within our reach and. I don't think that the Europa League will be a distraction to, the, to, to La Liga, and I don't think that La Liga will be a distraction to Europa League. I think that we can manage uh, our remaining matches for the rest of the season with the depth that we have, especially up front uh, in the midfield as well. Now let's hope that there won't be any any critical injuries, especially especially uh, especially one of our cent- central defenders. As long as we have a healthy Araujo and a healthy Eric Garcia and a healthy Piquet, I think that we're we're good to go for the rest of the season. I mean, you also could have no pressure. This is great that I could say this. No pressure on Sufati potentially coming back in two weeks' time, the, potentially for Levante on the road. So he would still miss Sevilla, and then he would miss the Eintracht Frankfurt Europa League in Germany, but potentially be able to return coming off the bench against Levante uh, on the road in Valencia, which, again, is not a terrible travel for, for a guy who's injured. But yeah, Sevilla is interesting because... I think Barcelona, after doing what they did to, to Real Madrid, they should be the heavy favorites against Sevilla, who are three points in front of them in the table. But Sevilla, four draws and one win in their last five. And while they do have the best defense in the league, conceding just 19 goals this season, I find a lot of parallels in the second place team, or last time I checked, in Serie A, in Napoli, and Sevilla, the way they play, the way that they're the solid defense that they have. And their ability, not to get out of the counter, but they just have enough talented guys to be able to beat you. And they've earned their spot in the table. But Sevilla, just like Napoli, is a team that if you basically use a similar game plan against Sevilla, I think Barcelona can smack Sevilla around in this game for sure coming off the El Clasico high. I know it's been two weeks, but still, the last game they played was El Clasico. And there's nothing that should have changed and nothing that would be different. And then it's Thursday, so you have a bunch of days off until Eintracht Frankfurt in Germany. Levante on the road then the following weekend. Frankfurt at home the following Thursday. Cadiz at home. La Real on the road. Rio at home. And not the same Rio that was sixth in the table. This is a Rio that have completely free-fallen because ownership and the team are 
completely, just that relationship is decimated. You have Mallorca at home, Betis on the road, Celta at home, Hadafe on the road, and Villarreal at home. And that Villarreal at home at the Camp Nou, I mean, that's the one you circle. And that game, by that point, right, we're going to know whether or not Barca could win the Liga or if they're just in second or third place, which again, it doesn't really matter if you finish second or third. I think there may be a little bit of a cash incentive there, but nothing that the players in, in truth should care about. But yeah, that Villarreal match, that would be interesting, right? If it's Villarreal at home to decide if you win the Liga or not. But yeah, a lot has to go wrong for Real Madrid as well. And I think that 4 nothing shellacking to Barca is going to keep Madrid motivated enough throughout the rest of this campaign to make sure they win the Liga. But their Champions League future is still up for grabs as well. We'll have to see what they do against a Chelsea team who are... Are they taking bicycles to the match? How are they getting there to, uh, to Madrid? <laughs> I've heard? I'm not sure. And and here's the other thing that we can add to that, to that schedule. If we make it past uh, Frankfurt, it's going to be either West Ham United or uh, Olympique Lyonnais in the semifinals of the Europa League. And either of those two opponents are, are well within Barca's reach. And to, to add to your point, I, I don't really care if we finish second or third. I want to I win La Liga. And as, as long as La Liga is up for grabs, that's what I'm concentrating on. That being said, I'm also coveting the Europa League. It is much more important than people give it credit for. And it's definitely a nice trophy to have. FC Barcelona has never won it. And how beautiful would it be to lift a trophy at the end of this tumultuous uh, season, uh, especially after the, the departure of the greatest star this, this club has ever seen. To win the Europa League really, really matters a lot to me. I, I would I would celebrate it as, as hard as I've celebrated Champions League uh, titles in the past. And people can call me crazy all they want. I really want this Europa League. Well, the timeline might work out well, where I've been saying for weeks now, I was afraid about La Liga finishing top four, and there should have been an emphasis on the league for quite some time. And if Napoli had knocked Barca out of the Europa League, the focus should have always been the Liga finishing top four and securing Champions League football. But now that this team has exceeded expectations, that Xavi has exceeded expectations in his first few months, this team is flying so high that... There's going to come a point this season where if they get if they get points against, let's say they do win three straight more in the Liga, Sevilla, Levante, and Cadiz on, at home, by the time you go to La Real on the road, Barcelona will have a really good idea that they have pretty much already qualified for the Champions League. That second or third is, is going to feel like a guarantee just because of who else is still on the schedule. You don't count your chickens before they hatch, but they can say, hey, we've only got... At that point, again, they would have moved on from Frankfurt as well. So now you're saying we've got three matches left to win the Europa League, and two of them are against West Ham or Lyon. So you're three matches away from the Europa League. That becomes the focus. And I, I, I just... <laughs> I'll end it on a very positive note. I can't believe that Barca are in a place where they could soft pivot from comfortably qualifying for the Champions League into going all out to also win the Europa League. Uh, that is just, it's incredible. And I think we're definitely going to talk more about the excitement about Xavi later on in the week. Also have to talk about the Femini as well, their highs and lows. Uh, hopefully, again, a very, very big high coming on Wednesday uh, at the Camp Nou, 90,000 people. Unfortunately, I will not be making it out to, to Catalonia for that one, but I'm excited to talk about that one on Thursday's show. So, Mike, that'll wrap it up. It was great talking to you after all these years. It's been, it's been, it's been great. I hope you've been well. 
Yeah, thank you very much for uh, for having me on the show. It's always nice to, to have an opportunity to talk Barca with you. And uh, as as people may know, we've known each other for many years, so it's always special to, to make it back to the Barcelona podcast. Yeah, so follow Mike, just show notes, click on his name, follow him on Twitter. And if you're in the Montreal area, of course, he heads up the Club La Grana de Montreal. So if you're in the Montreal or even Toronto, Ottawa, I don't care. Get in your car, make a drive, go say hi to Mike over there. So we're also on Twitter and Instagram at the Barcelona Pod at Hilton D13. For me, our closed Facebook group is the Barcelona Podcast. Answer the questions, I let you in. Patreon is how we keep making these shows. Always, always appreciated. You can also listen to these shows without the ads over there. And then we're on YouTube with match reviews at the Barcelona Podcast. I also have some specialty stuff too during the international break. And lastly, this is just for a, a little bit of an update. If you are a frequent viewer of BarcaBlog.com, currently the website is down, yes, but I promise that the wait will be worth it. Uh, let's put it that way. I promise the wait will be worth it because when it comes back to light, there's going to be some new fun stuff there. So it is in is in maintenance. I'm working in it on the back end, so I was not able to get it all reestablished or relaunched by the time the, the international break ended, but hopefully by the end of the season, we'll have something in the works for that. So that's BarcaBlog.com. Dot com. It still exists. You can still read the articles. You just have to find and, and wiggle through it. it it's, it. It's in its basic HTML format. But anyway, thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. And for the Barca. Barca. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.